Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> I got it. We got in last night at about midnight, and uh, you're so well. Number one, you're on Nicaragua time, so about two hours um, behind. And you're so excited to come back and share with your family and your friends all the things that that the Lord has has done. And so, um, so this sermon's going to feel that I'm tired. Maybe not as badly as I feel, but anyway, the whole point of that is bear with me. Um, well, once again, um, if, if, if you don't know, I just got back. We just got back from a mission trip in a Nicaragua. Uh, amazing stories. There will be a time where we're going to really un- unpack that trip and show videos and tell stories and kind of go through day by day. Um, but, of course, one of the most beautiful things that we saw there was the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in action. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ in action. So if you are just joining us this Sunday, um, since Easter, since um, since we looked at when Christ went to heaven on Ascension Sunday, since since Pentecost, we have been looking at the early church, the first Christians and how they walked out their faith, how uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit they went out. And so last week we focused on um The gospel itself, this powerful message that Jesus Christ came to save us sinners. And what we have today is an incredibly important passage, uh, not just for the church worldwide, but for St. Thomas's church. For for those of us that were on the leadership team, we sought to build a church and we've prayed to build a church that looks as much like this church spoken of here in Acts. Why is that? Because this is a church of Christ followers. This is the fruit of of the gospel. After um, people were convicted of their sins, they turned to Christ and 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 were forgiven and were filled by His love. They came together and created this body called the church. And so, what I want to focus on is four things. It's really five if you add the application, but four things that this scripture tells us a community of believers looks like four things that a community of believers saved by God's grace looks like. And they are, if, if, if you want to follow along, I always love that uh, verse 42. Um, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And really the rest of this passage unpacks that first sentence. So before I kind of dive into the four things, um, it's key. And of course, anybody that goes to our newcomers course, which is called the ambassadors course, um, that'll be coming up in in the fall. Um, But but we, we focus on this on the first day. And what we point out is this beautiful word, devoted. They devoted themselves. They rooted their hearts and their lives and their whole being in these four things. These weren't hobbies. These weren't um, uh, a part of their lives. You know, you had kind of Jesus here and your work here and you had your vacation time here. And he was kind of in his nice little compartment. No, they devoted themselves to, to these things. This was their life. So as we walk through these four points, keep that in mind. This is at the heart of who they were. So the first one, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. 
Well, put simply, what does that mean? Well, put simply, that's the word of God. That's God's Bible. And most of this is, um, is uh, and, and, and a lot of Christians, I think, have rightly with the best of intentions have said, well, we're a biblically based church. We put our faith in the Bible. We put our faith in, in, in the scriptures. But the problem is, is they haven't taken the scriptures through the lens of what the apostles had given them. You see, to truly understand this book, because if left to our own, own devices, we're going to turn this beautiful book of, of God's love story towards us, how he's rescued us sinners over and over and over again. We're going to turn this book into a list of rules that we have to follow to keep him loving us. And so what's key to, to remember as we read that verse is to look at two things. First, the fact that, that the apostle, I mean, that, that the gospel writer Luke wrote Acts. And he wrote it as part two, if you will, of his gospel of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, anything that we look at, especially when he says about the apostles teaching, we, we need to look at through the lens of Jesus Christ, of, of, of what uh, uh, Luke says about Jesus. And so what was this apostles teaching? Well, it was simply what Jesus told them about this, the scriptures. And it's in, a, in a numerous places. But um, if you want to join me in Luke, two, uh, Luke, Luke uh, 24, page 885, verse um, 44, it says, says this. Jesus has been resurrected and he says this. These are my words when I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He's talking about the, the apostles, very apostles teaching where we're being told to uh, uh, devote ourselves to. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, this is written. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day be raised from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from uh, uh, Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And so it's one thing to broadly say, well, we're a, we're a biblical church. We, we devote ourselves to the apostles teaching and we end up reading the Bible as a way to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves presentable, as a way to judge other people. But one of the most difficult things for us to swallow is the fact that, no, actually, the apostles' teaching is over and over and over telling us that we are sinners in need of God's grace. Um, this may come as a shock to us, some of you, but the Nicaraguan culture and our culture is a little bit different. OK, um, we, you, we can go into great detail about all the, the differences. But what was fascinating and frankly, what was so beautiful was that their understanding of Christ is the same as ours. Their need for salvation is the same as ours. Their only hope, their true bread in life is the word of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And not just any word, but the word of forgiveness of sins, the true apostles teaching. 
And it was so beautiful because I don't speak their language. They don't speak, speak my language, but we all speak Jesus. And I would open up the Bible whenever I wanted to kind of share uh, where my heart was. I would open up the Bible and I'd let the scriptures talk for us. And we could see this, that despite culture, not just language, not just geography, not just history, not just, you know, every possible obstacle, socioeconomic, educational, we were on the same, we spoke the same language of our Savior Christ. Why? Because this church had devoted itself to the apostles' teaching. And I believe that the Holy Spirit made this the first one. Because if, if um, because there might be those of us in here, and I understand this is a very unique document, isn't it? This, this Bible, it's all these different genres from these different cultures, and, and a lot of it doesn't seem to mesh with where our culture is. And it's easy to say, well, this is just God's, this isn't God's word. This is just man's understanding of God. I know how tempting that, that that is. And I've fallen into that trap. And if I'm to be honest, I'll fall into it more often than I want to admit still. But if you're searching for Jesus Christ, if you're searching for this great joy, if you're, it, it all begins here in God's word. Nothing else will make sense until we do that, which is so hard for us intellectually driven Westerners to, to, a, to a swallow. And that's to put ourselves not over God's word, but under God's word. And even where it rubs up against some of our personally deepest held beliefs, submitting that in some mysterious way, this is God speaking to us. So that's the first thing that uh, that, that the church, the true church of, of uh, forgiven believers devotes itself to the apostles' teaching. But it doesn't end there. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, that's an English word, of course. But, you know, all these translations, that's about as close as the English language can possibly get to the Greek word koinonia. And the thing about the, the Greek language is it's a broad language. And a word like like Koinonia doesn't have a very accurate, specific meaning. It's an incredibly broad one. And that means everything from, and, and, and if you will, the broadest thing is it's, it's the sharing. They devoted themselves to the sharing of all of what they had with each other. And we get a glimpse of this when it talks about, um, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and all who believed were, were, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Now, as a foot, footnote for maybe those of us that are more fiscally con, conservative and you're worried, is this preaching communism? No, no. Um, it's okay to have private property. That's fine. But, but you see, what this transformed community of believers realized is that all that they had was a gift of God. They hadn't really earned anything. It was all given to them by God's grace. Even the skills and the knowledge and the wisdom that they needed to attain homes and things were all a gift of God at their birth. This stuff isn't mine. This is God's. And therefore, they transformed the way that they understood the world and the church. And they said, how can I use what the Lord has blessed me with to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ and the world? But, but specifically here. 
They devoted themselves to each other. And I've seen so many examples of this at St. Thomas's Church. I love to hear the stories of people opening up your homes, not just to meals, but to literally come and have people stay with you to support you. Story after story of, of, of helping each other out in tight spots, whether it's by the gift of money or by allowing people to, to, to use your cars, all these things. Um, but we had two beautiful examples of this over this uh, past trip. Of course, the first example um, was uh, the example of just that community where this church is literally a bright light in an incredibly an almost indescribably dark place, dark in every possible meaning of that word. And here you had these people that literally have maybe three set, sets of clothes, maybe two, one pair of shoes, if, if that, maybe food for, for the week, maybe not. But they are sharing what little that they have with each other so that all these children may be fed, so that the whole community can be built up. But of course, um, I'm sure he hates the fact I'm going to tell, tell this story, but um, our, our brothers and sisters down there, Pastor Jose Maria, that's the pastor of the church that we're partnering with. Um, his son is, the, uh, is, is in charge of uh, music and plays the keyboard, does, does a great job, and, but always wanted to play the guitar. But that just can't happen where he lives. Um, it's too expensive and all these things. And so Shane, moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave him his guitar. Said, brother, this is not mine. This is the Lord's. And nothing would please me more to build up the body of Christ than to share this with you. Devoted himself to, to the koinonia, to the fellowship. Now that kind of convicts us, right? I don't have to... Bring in an application. So we're sort of bearing, bringing that to, to bear on our hearts. Maybe some of us are saying, you know, I, I need, I, I like the church, but only to the extent that it doesn't really cost me anything. I like opening up my home only to the extent that it doesn't inconvenience me. And if the Spirit of the Lord is moving you maybe to invest more in this body, and by that I don't mean giving to the church monetarily. By that I mean just sharing your, your very self and your possessions with those in need here at St. Thomas's Church and beyond. But then there are others of, of, of you which, you know, you've been part of a church maybe your whole life and, and you're just kind of like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, yeah, I like Sundays, but I feel like I'm missing out. Well, what you're missing out on is this sharing of your life. Sharing of your possessions, sharing of what the Lord has blessed you with, with your brothers and sisters. Because that's where true intimacy and friendship is formed. So that's the second thing. Brings us to the third thing. The breaking of bread. Now, that, that does mean kind of what I just talk, talked about. But once again, if we're understanding this verse through the lens of, of, of Luke's gospel, that phrase has a very specific Meaning, And it comes up uh, uh, four times or uh, three times really within uh, Luke's gospel. Feeding of the 5,000, Jesus took and he broke the bread and gave it out. Gave thanks, broke, gave it out. At the last supper, Jesus broke. He said, this bread is my body. And he broke it to, to symbolize his death on the cross. 
And he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples. And then fast forward right before that passage I read in Luke 24. Um, Christ was, was a resurrected and he was on the road to, to um, Emmaus. And these two, um, and these two uh, disciples were, were, were walking with him. And when Christ gave thanks, broke bread and gave it to them. They could see him and they knew who, who he was. And so what that means is when we hear the phrase and, and in the breaking of, of the bread, what that means is they devoted themselves to come together and worship and partake in the bread and the wine in the Lord's meal. This perpetual re reminder that we come together every time that and our main thing is to worship the Lord and enjoy him because it's through the singing if you want to dance and been dancing during worship for, for a week, it's been fantastic. If you want to, to a dance and, and you're not five, that's fine too, right? Because the five-year-olds are already dancing. If you, whatever it is. But as we come to the Lord's table, let us not forget. This is an instrumental way that the Lord roots the gospel in our heart. And it's as we see the bread broken that symbolizes Christ's broken body. That symbolizes the fact that he gave his life to feed all of us the bread of eternal life. And we drink the wine, the cup of, of gladness and joy. Um, so in uh, Pastor Jose Maria's culture, they don't use real wine. They use grape juice. They uh, do communion um, once, once a year. But if you're worried about them being too stuffy, don't worry. Because he told me this story where he and a bunch of his pastors from his denomination they were going to they all got together to pray and they wanted to do a communion as a sign of their fellowship with each other. But somebody snuck a little bit of real wine in because they each had an individual cup and they snuck a little bit of wine in the like like the youngest pastor's cup. And so when they all drank, they all just watched it and they just watched him. It was just like deals, meals, you know, um, but it was it was hilarious. Anyway, what our Lord is telling us here. Is that if we give up on the regular coming to, together to worship and to partake of the bread and the wine, we are not truly living out what it means to be God's for, for, forgiven people. So, 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 that, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and to prayer, and to prayer. I think in this really scientific world in which we live, that we talk about praying. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say we, I'm going to say me. Though I talk a lot about praying, it's very easy to forget the importance of it. It's very easy for me to believe that God just works through our minds. That God just works through medical science to heal the sick. That God just works through uh, uh, psychology to heal the spirit. I think he does work through all of these things. But once again, one thing that we were so amazed by was that this congregation's evangelism strategy for their whole area was let's find who's sick. Let's pray for God to heal them. And when he heals them, then we can share the gospel with them. Let's find who's literally possessed by, by demons and the victim of, of um, indigenous witchcraft. And let's pray against that, that the Lord would free them. And when he frees them, Christ will, will be glorified. And we have this really curious passage in, in our scripture. 
about um, the disciples were uh, and, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And we literally saw that as these malnourished children and they showed with all kind of illnesses and injuries would literally be prayed for by the pastor with incredible passion. And they would come back and, and, and the, the Lord bless us with this opportunity to pray for uh, probably one of the, the children. I'll never forget little Katie. I mean, if, if you go to our Facebook page, she's the one who is sort of on our on our Facebook uh, wall picture there. Very pale skin. Looks like she has blonde hair. She is not blonde. She is not a, a ca ca she's not a Caucasian. She's so malnourished that her body can't produce enough nutrients to actually color her her, her hair and, and her skin. Um, but she had a stomach ache and, and she was sick. And so we prayed for, for her. And we came back the, the next day and she was healed. No Pepto-Bismol. No medicine. Just the Spirit's power in that place. And awe and wonder fell upon that whole crowd. We believe in prayer here. And if there's something in your life, some deep-rooted sin you just want to get rooted out, some deep-rooted illness you want to be banished of, God's not, you know, I can't pray. and It's not magic. God heals you, not, not me. But let's not forget the beautiful gift that our Savior offers us in prayer, this trusting handing over of people in the Lord's name. We have a phenomenal prayer ministry that... that uh, the Lord has blessed us with really talented people that can pray for you and for people that you love. Do not forget the power of that. So that's the four things that a forgiven people, when they come to, to together, look like. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And what is the fruit of that? That's the application. That's point five. Is that they receive, they receive favor with all the people. Not just the church, but the whole world. Because this church is seen as a powerful force that blesses. And the Lord will add to their number. As we walk in our fellowship. As we walk in our devotion to the apostles' teaching. As we walk in our weekly worship centered around God's word and this table. And as we pray, Lord God, we trust you with this world. Do things that will make this world stand in awe of your love and grace. As we do those things where we live, work, play, and learn and beyond, we will win favor with, with the people. And the Lord will add to our numbers. That's his promise. And that's good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.